Welcome to the Lodge Real Estate Home Truths Podcast. Join us as we speak the truth about home ownership, the housing market, and the place we call home, Hamilton. Come on in and make yourself comfortable. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Lodge Home Truths Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Jeremy O'Rourke, Managing Director of Lodge Real Estate. Well, We've been waiting for a while and now it's well and truly happened. For those of us in the industry, we've seen the pendulum swing back and forward a few times and thanks to current economic conditions, it now looks like we have well and truly entered a buyer's market mode again. Markets never been better stocked and stricter regulations and heightened interest rates are keeping investors out of the market. It is a great time for home buyers to get in on the action. So if you're a first home buyer ready to transact, you're going to want to listen up. Today, I'm joined by two experts in the area, Sam Douglas, partner at Hamilton law firm iClaw, and Andrew Binden, residential and lifestyle salesperson for Lodge. They're going to guide us through the process for a first home buyer in the economic client that we currently find ourselves in, and particularly look at it from a legal perspective. But before we get started, We'll kick off with our usual segments, Two Truths and a Lie. I'll get each of you, Sam and Andrew, to tell me three statements and at the end of the podcast we'll uncover which one is in fact a lie and which ones are the truth. So, Sam, welcome. Can I get you to go first? Thank you very much, Jeremy. Right, my first statement is a vendor is under no obligation to clean or remove all rubbish before settlement. My second statement is... Depending on how you own a property with your partner, it will automatically pass to your partner when you die, regardless of what your will says. And my third statement is that if you check to make sure a property has a code compliance certificate, that means that everything is okay in that property. All right. Well, we'll look forward to uh, figuring out which one of those is fiction at the end. And Andrew, if I can have yours, please. Welcome. Hello, Jeremy. Thank you very much. My three statements. Number one, it is a good idea to include as many conditions in your contract or offer as possible for the longest periods of time as possible. Uh, Number two, fences are not always on the boundary or indicative of boundary lines. So it's a good idea to employ a surveyor if you want to confirm these. And your third statement is? You can lowball when you are making an offer. And this is always a good way to start a deal. Brilliant. Thanks, Andrew. And again, we'll look forward to uh, hearing the answers at the end. Sam, I want to kick off uh, with you. If I'm a first home buyer looking around at listings and going to a few open homes, I probably haven't given too much thought to needing a lawyer. Can you maybe just run us through what a lawyer does for a first home buyer or, in fact, why they actually need one? What are the crucial advice that they actually need to know? I like to tell people to think of us as your legal project managers. It's our job as lawyers to bring together all the different parts of your property transaction to make sure you get the outcome that you expect. We can help you as much or as little as you would like, whether this is going to be your first transaction or if you're a seasoned pro. So for first home buyers, this means the actual conveyancing, so the buying and selling of the property, but also the things that go along with that, so helping with the due diligence. Buying a home is one of the biggest investments most people make, so it's important to make sure it's going to be a good one. Checking the titles. We have freehold, cross-lease unit titles. There are boundaries, easements, covenants, consent notices, lots of things to check to make sure you're actually getting what you're expecting to get. We help with KiwiSave withdrawal and the Kainora first home grants, which need to be processed through your legal team. 
And we help with financing general, which also needs to be processed through your legal team once your brokers have done their magic as well. I really like uh, what you're saying here, Sam, is your your legal project advisor, because there are a whole lot of terms that are used in real estate and a whole lot of complications that when they're explained by a solicitor, they become quite simple to understand. But on the face of it, they can be quite complex. So what are some of the maybe more complicated ways that a lawyer may become involved in a house purchase? And I'm thinking of scenarios where there may be multiple owners and things like that. Can you maybe talk us through that a little bit? So a good lawyer can help you with lots of other parts that aren't strictly part of the buying and selling. So you mentioned uh, multiple owners. There's a couple of ways that could come up. So there are some shared ownership schemes out there. Companies like well, Kainga Aura offer it, um, Housing Foundation, you own. Those are organizations that can help people who can't quite afford to buy their own home. And so those shared ownership schemes will actually buy part of that home alongside you and you'll buy that off them over time. Co-ownership and property sharing, so you might buy with flatmates or with friends or a brother and sister. Those are becoming more and more common and they are really good ways to get into properties, but it's important that people consider how that deal is going to look, what happens if one person wants to leave, so a lawyer can help you put an agreement in place with your other owners. Lawyers might also help you um, set up things like trusts or discuss relationship property risk. So as properties become more expensive or people put... um, more of their money towards a property, often they aren't going in 50-50. And so people do want to think about what are the relationship property implications if we buy this house together and I'm putting in more money than my partner, or if they are in a risky industry, are there ways they can protect it? And so that's where things like trusts come in. So there are lots of other ways apart from the strict conveyancing that a lawyer can help a first-time buyer as well, or any buyer. And what I'm also hearing here is a lot of these things that the lawyer is helping with, they're not traditional structures. So whilst we often turn to mum and dad as third-party advisors and people who can actually help us understand, you know, how to purchase a property, there are so many new ways of actually going forward and owning property today that our parents may simply not be aware of. And this is where a lawyer can actually help advise and find maybe the best structure that uh, suits a person or indeed, you know, find alternate ways of actually getting through it. Is there anything else in particular that a buyer should be looking for in a lawyer if they've never engaged one before? Because often this is the first time that we actually come across the legal profession. So, you know, what would your advice be in, in that capacity? Yeah, absolutely. Well, my firm, Law, we're um, only about six years old, so I like to tell people, don't use your parents' lawyer. Um, <laughs> I like to say that a lawyer is a really useful relationship you can have during your lifetime. Right now, you might be buying your first home, but you, you might have, as I said, relationship property issues in future. Or you might want to set up a trust or buy into your business or set up your own business or something else in future. And so it's worthwhile picking someone around your own age, someone who um, is able to offer those other services as well and not just the transaction and um, build that relationship that might be useful for you later on in life. Yeah, so this starts to sound like a lifetime sort of relationship and forming uh, somebody that you can trust over that lifetime that you may use multiple times in, in very many different circumstances. Great. Before we get too far ahead with the process of making an offer, let's just back up a bit. How can first home buyers know if they are in fact ready to make an offer and looking for a house? What should they sort of get in order beforehand from a legal perspective? Yeah, good question. So a first good step is obviously figuring out what they can afford. And there's a couple of elements to that. So checking to make sure you're eligible to withdraw your KiwiSaver, if that's something you're wanting to do. Also, some people will be eligible for the Kainga Aura First Home Grants as well. 
then checking with your bank, checking with your broker to see how much you can borrow, how much you're prepared to borrow, and what the timing and requirements are all around that. Okay, so there is a lot of stuff that we can actually do up front to sort of ensure that our offers are better and and we know exactly what we're doing so we're not disappointed as we go through the process. Uh, assuming that all goes well with the finance side of things and pre-approvals, the next step that buyers will encounter is the agreement for sale and purchase for real estate. Can you tell us a little bit about that and maybe some of the things that they might want to look out for or include or ask their agent to include in that uh, agreement for sale? Yeah, sure. So most transactions will use the same template agreement, uh, meaning your real estate agent and your lawyer will be very familiar with it. What would normally happen is you'd look at the property a few times, you'd work out uh, with your real estate agent what you think a, a good offer is going to be figure out what you're comfortable to pay for, and then your agent will prepare your conditional offer. We'd usually recommend making a conditional offer. Uh, that way you can agree on the price with the vendor before you go and spend your money on due diligence. So as a first-time buyer, due diligence can be potentially expensive if you're buying building reports, uh, you're paying for a lawyer to check titles, that sort of thing. And so a conditional offer allows you to make a deal with a vendor, find out that you're both on the same page, and then if that's accepted, you then go and you spend your money on your builder, on your lawyer, on your limb report. And so most conditional offers will tend to be conditional on you getting finance approval from your bank. So we, we've talked a bit before about getting your pre-approval from your bank, but typically you'd still, once you have the signed agreement, get that in front of the bank as well for the final approval. You'd also have it conditional on you approving a building report. You want to make sure the house isn't going to fall over or there's no surprises in there. And you'd usually have it conditional on your review and approval of a land information memorandum, which is a snapshot of the council file. Make sure the council's not aware of anything too dodgy about the property. You could include other conditions as well. There's a whole raft of things to do. We would generally say wouldn't do too many. It's a balance and your, your real estate agent would help you with this. You want to have an offer that's uh, able to be accepted as well. And we would always recommend that if you have any concerns over the agreement or that you have your lawyer check over the draft agreement just to make sure it's captured the right conditions for your particular circumstances. And we'll probably find that a lot of legal firms, so at Ike Law, for example, we always offer free consultations for new clients. We're happy to um, meet with a client and review a draft agreement, as I said at the start. It's a template agreement that everyone's very familiar with, so we can check a draft agreement very, very quickly just to make sure it's got the right things in there, right conditions to protect the client. And um, most firms won't charge for that. So usually you can actually ask your solicitor to check through it beforehand and there's no added charge for checking that agreement. You know, that'll all be captured in uh, the one charge that they would receive at the end. Yeah, that's right. So where it's a conditional agreement, really those checks are to make sure the right conditions in there. And then if the conditions get accepted, that's when the lawyer will dig in and start doing that work. So it's just about trying to save the purchaser a bit of money through those conditional offers. Okay, so that really covers a conditional offer, but there are circumstances where even a first home buyer may want to consider making an unconditional offer, and that may come about because they want to bid at auction, but it also uh, may come about because they want to put their best foot forward in a, in a competitive situation. Can you tell us what that might look like? If I was a first home buyer and I wanted to make an unconditional offer on something, what, what would the solicitors or your advice be for the solicitor's involvement then? Absolutely, absolutely. And so as you've identified, auctions tend to be unconditional, will, will be unconditional. There are other types of agreement as well. So where it's a um, particularly unique property, often if it's by tender or deadline treaty, or as you say, there's just a lot of demand, sometimes it is appropriate for a buyer to make a commercial decision and say, I have to go and do all my checks now 
and make an unconditional offer. And so from a lawyer's perspective, that means if you want to protect against any of the legal risks, you've just got to do those checks before you make the offer. So you're gonna you're gonna spend a lot more time checking the title, may that's any right. sort of encumbrance that sits on that title, clarifying that, explaining it to the um, yep. per- helping them understand exactly what it is they're buying before okay. they put that offer in. Because a, a little one, bit more work. It's really. exactly right. Because yeah. once you make the unconditional offer, if it's accepted by the vendor, at that point there's no backing out. Yeah, it's all go. Yeah, which is exciting. It is. If I can just turn to uh, you, perhaps, Andrew, uh, for a minute, can you maybe tell us a little bit about how a real estate agent may interact with the uh, lawyer during, you know, the sale of a property? What sort of relationship would you have with a purchaser's solicitor as you lead up to um, maybe making the sale and purchase offer and then even as you, as you nurse that offer through? Firstly, obviously, we need to get the details and put them into the contract. From there, it's about me actually having that sale and purchase agreement to the solicitor on time and helping that purchaser through the conditions of that contract. Yeah, so it needs to be reasonably close relationship so that you know how you can actually help the purchaser enact what the um, solicitor might actually be advising them to do. Exactly. The more information and the more help that we can give the purchaser in relation to the communication with the lawyer, the better. Yeah, and really pointing also, the purchaser in the right direction exactly, as to go exactly. and how to fulfil some of the conditions that yeah, um, are, have been included. Because there is obviously the uh, solicitor has to do their job, but as long as we can have the information provided to the solicitor, on the purchaser's behalf in a timely manner. That's uh, an important part to get their relationship as well. If you haven't met them for off to a good start. Terrific. And so from a, from a salesperson's point of view, you're working on uh, behalf of the vendor, obviously, and um, you know, we point that out to all of the purchasers. But uh, what kind of offer in relation to asking would you be wanting to present to a uh, vendor from a first-home buyer? So what I'll be doing in this instance is uh, discussing that with your salesperson or the uh, agent that you're working with. They should have past in, uh, sales and also properties that are on the market that you can compare with. And it's important that uh, you want to be able to negotiate, but you also don't want to be starting too low to um, effectively put off that negotiation, uh, the start of that negotiation. So discussing a good starting point with your real estate agent is the best way to inform what I'm hearing is you really do need to actually make that opening offer uh, within the range of negotiable acceptance rather than making it outside that range, which the vendor could just routinely dismiss and not countersign or not want to get into any sort of uh, negotiation with us. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, correct. You, you don't want to be offending the uh, vendor right from the outset. You want to be starting a negotiation off on the right foot. And you do that by looking at what past sales have happened in the area as close by as possible, but also the houses that are on the market that are in direct competition with that property you're offering on. So a sales part of a salesperson's role then, would as be I understand them it, about that. Would, would be to just educate a first-home buyer on where this sort of market is, where this type of property might be sitting within the market exactly by that. using past sales and by using competitive properties, properties that are on the market in competition with exactly this type that. of property. Oh, excellent. Can you maybe share any scenarios where there's been a really low ball offer and, you know, what did you do in that situation where someone's made an offer that was completely outside fair market value? I can uh, do that firsthand. We had this property on the market for, it was around about the 800 mark and they wanted to offer 700. In this instance, we are so far from an acceptable offer that what we need to do is actually 
come back to the start and actually go through those figures again with the purchaser. We understand that they're wanting to get it for the best price, but we're also trying to get the best price for the vendor as well. And we've got to marry those up. And that is done through statistics. It's not by opinion. It's not by, done by much else other than giving them evidence or by evidence of this is where you need to be to purchase this property. And then they can also get a feeling if they're overpaying or underpaying as well. Yeah, so they get a real feel for what the market's doing and you can expediate sort of how yeah. that actually happens by providing mm. good information. I guess good information begets good, good decisions. decisions. Yeah, exactly. So we've been talking about existing property sales and uh, Sam, I want to now turn to brand new properties because there is a degree of new properties sort of building on the market and we also have the situation where there are properties that are um, sold off plan and there's certain incentives for first-time buyers to actually get in and buy some of these sorts of uh, properties. So what is the difference, I guess, from a legal perspective in buying an existing home and a brand new home or something that may be off plan? What sort of added protections may you need? Cool. Right. So yeah, there's plenty of differences um, between the two. So in terms of incentives, as you identified, if someone's eligible for the Kainga Aura First Home Grant, they can actually get double the amount of money if it's a new home. So up to $10,000 each instead of $5,000 each. Obviously, with a new home, you're getting something new. Uh, so not only is it warm, dry and quiet, uh, you tend to have a 10-year guarantee from the builder in term, and, and a maintenance period for the first 12 months. Old homes, I don't know about you, my, my home's 60 years old. There's always something. <laughs> <laughs> And if you decide after a couple of years that you're going to turn it into a rental property, so it might be your first home, but it might also be a stepping stone, the Brightline rules are only five years instead of 10 years if it's a new build. So um, there's some advantages there if it later becomes a rental, even though at first it's your first home. As you've identified, many of the house and land packages might be over time, uh, so it might be buying off the plans. And so with that, uh, timeframes obviously are a bit up in the air. So some people might sign a contract expecting settlement in six months and maybe it's a year. So you need to think about things like sunset dates in there and also what are your circumstances at the moment? Are you able to rent for a bit longer? Are you able to stay where you are? A lot of the house and land packages will be advertised as fixed price, uh, but not all will be. So it's really important to get the contract checked thoroughly. So a lot of those have an actual building contract along with them as well. And if they do, they are quite complex agreements. They do need to be checked because quite rightly, there are sometimes scope for the builder to increase the price. So depending on the type of contract you enter into, if the builder um, starts digging foundations and finds out there's a lot more work to be done, often those sorts of costs can be passed on. But that said, some of them are truly fixed price where the purchaser knows the price won't change at the end of the day. But it's just really important to get that contract checked to make sure what kind of contract is it that they're dealing with. And then probably the last thing I'd say be aware of is bank funding is sometimes a bit different with buying off the plans. And that's generally around your pre-approval generally won't last long enough for your building contract. So if your building contract is 12 months, your pre-approval might not last that long. So it's, it's just really important to um, make sure that you are comfortable with your financial position. And if you do have one of those contracts where the price can change, that you do have a bit of wriggle room left in with your bank lending. So if you do have to pay an extra 5 or 10%, you've got that flexibility to do that. And it's not always because um, the price of the bill changes. Sometimes you might decide to change something in the building yourself. You might ask the builder for a variation partway through because you want a bigger window or a bigger deck or uh, something like that. And um, I see that more often than not. So what I'm hearing is there are some really good incentives to buy new and buy off plan, but if you do so, there, there may well be a few more uh, hoops to jump through and detail to cover off. So make sure that you involve your lawyer and you actually understand exactly what you're getting yourself into. 
Absolutely right. Yeah, I like to say, um, talk with your lawyer early to stop a small problem from becoming a big problem. Nice, I like that. So I'd like to know from both of you, what makes up the ideal client to you and uh, what have been some of those really successful moments for each of you in your careers in terms of uh, real estate sales, whether it's you know conveyancing the sale or whether it's actually nurturing the sale together, things that you're, you're really proud of. So maybe Sam, if I can start with you. Cool. So um, I'm a property specialist, but I'm also a bit of a general practitioner. So that means I'm well-placed to advise people and not just buying a property, but all the other stuff that goes along with that, whether that's a trust or a um, relationship property agreement, setting up wills, or maybe something commercial as well, if they're buying into a business or have issues with their business or something like that. So um, my ideal client is someone who's really looking for that long-term relationship, kind of like your, um, your GP, your doctor. I would like to become someone's family lawyer. And so someone who's able to make those sorts of relationships going forward and would need other advice in their life. And Andrew? Uh, For me, it's actually working with an active purchaser. So what I mean by that is I've actually literally just had this, and this would be one of the best purchases I've actually worked with. She was prepared before she actually entered the market. She knew where she wanted to buy, she knew what she could spend, and she knew what conditions she had to have in that contract. When we made the offer and we went conditional, we actually were in a multi-offer as well. She won that multi-offer, and right from the very next day, she instigated and initiated the uh, conditions. So she got the information to her broker, solicitor. We ordered the building report. Everything was done by herself with my uh, advice through this, of course, but she was very much proactive. It's nothing that you can sit down and just let happen. You have to make this come together. And that's also what the agent will help buyers with as well. It's interesting just listening to both of you because, you know, um, it sounds like you're both saying we want to become your trusted advisor and a trusted advisor for life, one on the legal side of it and two on the um, on the real estate side of it. So it's actually forming that really strong relationship and making sure it's a, a relationship based on trust would be your, your ideal clients. Absolutely. Um, let's get straight to talking about fees. Sam, if I can ask you firstly, you know, and Andrew will we'll talk about uh, real estate fees as well, but what does a uh, first home buyer get charged in terms of a property purchase? Yeah, good question. I'll give the standard lawyer answer of it depends. Um, <laughs> the good news is that your bank usually covers legal fees. So if you're borrowing to buy a property, your bank will contribute to legal fees and they usually get um, paid back to you on settlement. But for a standard legal purchase, um, you're probably looking around about the 1500 to 2000 plus GST mark, but it completely depends on what you need. Like if you're having KiwiSaver as well, whether you're having Kainga or a first-home grants, depending on what type of title it is. So if it's a unit title or a cross-lease, it's a bit more complex, there's a bit more time that needs to be spent. But what I usually say is, as I mentioned earlier, at iClaw we offer um, free initial consultations and so I always recommend that people come in with their agreement, we sit down with you for half an hour, find out what the transaction's about, find out about what you specifically need and then we can give you a better idea of costs and there's yeah, no so, obligation following so the those more, meetings. the more complex you purchase or then it's going to cost you a little bit more if it's a straight purchase, you know, then there aren't that many complications in it, then it, it's going to cost you a little bit less. That's right. And Andrew, real estate salespeople, what does a real estate agency charge a first home buyer for their purchase? Uh, the good news is there is no charge. To the purchaser? To the purchaser. The vendor pays. The, the vendor pays. The vendor pays. So 
when you are working with a salesperson or as we call them agents, there is no fee, there is no charge. So use them. They are there for you to be used, to inform you about what's going on in the market and how to prepare yourself for an offer and help you through that process. So whilst the vendor is paying for them and the salesperson is uh, axed for the vendor, a first home buyer can really take advantage of a salesperson by getting them to do a whole lot of homework for them on the market and informing them about the market. And it's much easier to jump into a real estate salesperson's car in an hour, you would show like, Four, five, Four, six five. properties. Yep. You know that's going to take them an entire Sunday and Saturday afternoon Saturday to do Sunday. themselves through uh, through open homes. Yep. So save yourself some time. It's not going to cost you anything. Would be the lesson there. I'm hearing exactly. And what is really beneficial is actually that conversation in the car with your agent between listings. There's a lot of information that can be shared during that drive to the next listing. What did you think about the house you just saw? How does it compare to the house before that? This is what's happening in this area when you're driving through the areas. This is the school that's involved. This is where you go to the supermarket. All of these sorts of things you can discuss with your agent as you are approaching the next home. So when you get to that next home, you're already a bit more familiar with the area, what might be around and what you need out of that property. Nice. Fine, if I can just wrap this up, Andrew, I'll just mm. focus on uh, just extending what you're, you're saying there. You know, the market's been a little bit topsy-turvy for the last 12 months, seems to be settling itself down now, but what are your predictions uh, for the next 12 months? Is there really all this doom and gloom out there, or are you starting to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel? You know, we've actually been seeing a lot of light at the end of the tunnel since the beginning of the year. So what I've started to do is not really listen to the out external factors and actually just concentrate on what we have got going on in front of us. If you're working with a bigger agency who are doing the business, you'll actually find there's a lot happening at the moment. So it's worthwhile getting involved with your favourite real estate agent and actually understanding what's going on and what the best approach is moving forward. Because if you listen to what you're hearing on the news, you may not stay or get into the market at all. And we won't know the bottom of the market until it starts going back up again. I think if you actually have a position now where you have finance pre-approved, you should be using that because there's no guarantee when, if that lapses, if you'll get to are reinstated. So if you've got that approval now, take advantage of it. Nice. All right. A little bit of optimism there too. Sam, you'd see this from, you know, the number of transactions that are coming across your uh, desk month to month. Are you seeing any change in the market? Are you seeing the market pick up at all or is it still relatively flat? Haven't quite seen that yet. Yeah, we, we see it still as a, a little lumpy. So um, sometimes it's up and, and down. As lawyers, we find we're often a couple of months behind the trends in terms of once the agreement actually hits us, that you know those people might have been in the market for a month or two already. But in terms of the next 12 months, I mean, as we saw with the GFC at some point, um, there'll be people sitting around with cash and equity who think they're at the bottom and will start jumping back in, thinking they'll be able to grab some bargains and increasing competition again. Meantime, now's a good time for first home buyers in the sense that they're able to make those conditional offers without getting chased out of the market by the more experienced players. It gives them a bit more time to go and do their checks. And I mean, rent's still expensive. And so I'm predicting that you know those wanting to buy a home are still going to want to buy a home in the next 12 months. Yeah, no, certainly hear that. And um, you're, you're right. Uh, when I talk to the property management department, rents are still rising. When we take a look at the median sale price, it looks like the market may well have found a floor. It's um, sort of bounced around between that sort of uh, 760 and 780 as a median. So it seems that we, we're starting to right see this last couple of weeks, a lot more offers starting to be made and people really starting to uh, get confident in the market again. So good to hear from the both of you. 
I actually think as well, Bill, the more people coming through open homes creates that more competition and people actually wanting to make an offer. Yeah, I'll certainly there's, there's we've definitely seen, been more coming through. Yeah, we've certainly seen mm. an increase in our throughput of open homes yep. as we measure it each week. So if I can just turn us back to our regular feature, two truths and a lie, starting with you, Sam, what were the three statements? Which one of them was actually fiction? No worries. So the fiction one was... If a house has a code compliance certificate, it means that everything is okay. So this is something we hear reasonably often. Someone says, oh, don't worry, it has a code compliance certificate. But what that means is a code compliance certificate relates to a particular building consent. So if a particular building consent related to renovations to a lounge and a kitchen, and that had a code compliance certificate, all that means is those building works were completed in accordance with the building consent. But for all we know, there could have been other works that were carried out at the same time that the council wasn't aware of, and those works may not have been compliant. So a code compliance certificate doesn't mean the building is okay. You should still have it checked by a builder. Uh, it just means that those particular works were done in accordance with that particular building consent. So line, what you're saying is line the code compliance certificate up to the permit that it relates to, Correct. and you'll find out what that uh, code compliance certificate Yep. Uh, relates to and every now and, and then you find someone who's <laughs> snuck in something extra. Ah. <laughs> and Andrew, what was the lie that uh, you came up with? Uh, the lie was when you are making a conditional offer to include as many conditions as you can and with the amount of time that you need, as, as much time as you need or can have for those conditions. That's the lie? That's the lie. So I'll break this into two. If you are you're a solo offer position, you're making one offer on a property or if you're in a competitive situation, so a multi-offer. The first one, yes, include the conditions that you need to satisfy the purchase and include the length of time as needed. But you've also got to remember that you don't want to be too long because the vendor is effectively taking their property off the market for that conditional period. So traditionally it's about 10 working days and now it might be for finance, for example, up to about 15. It could be a little bit longer or shorter, but uh, that comes to the second part. If you are in a multiple offer situation, you really need to work very closely with your real estate agent because they will help you put that contract together to make that an attractive option to the vendor. So really you want to, maybe you want to clear some of those conditions before you make the offer as a potential or shorten up the conditions. So you might run the contract past Sam or someone to shorten up the solicitor's approval. You might get the building report done before the offer. Or if you also have a good relationship with a building inspector, they might be able to do that within say five working days. And then the only other one is the LIM report. You need to talk to your salesperson and also the solicitor if you require one. You may or may not need to include that. So there are definitely parts of information that you will need to go into uh, making a better offer or a more successful offer in a competitive situation. So I'll just recap that if you are making conditions and you do need time in there, then keeping that time you know, to a minimum it makes it more attractive to a vendor. And secondly, in a competitive situation, you want to make that offer as clean sure as you possibly possible. can. So you might want to do the uh, homework up front Correct. so that your offer is, in the eyes of the vendor, the one with the least conditions or the least time off market type of thing. Correct. And that's the best way is to uh, approach that with a joint direction with your salesperson and your solicitor. Nice close. Well, guys, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks again to my guests, Sam, and to uh, Andrew. Some really good advice and some good takeaways in there. So make sure you subscribe to our Home Truths, and we'll be back next time with some great insights into uh, the real estate industry. Enjoy. Thank you. Thanks very much, Jeremy. 
Thanks for joining us on the Lodge Real Estate Home Truths podcast. Learn more about today's topic and our panel guests by visiting our website, lodge.co.nz.